Croeso i'r Cymrodorion. Thank you for listening to this Cymrodorion podcast. Our speaker is Professor David Johnson, Director, the University of Wales Centre for Advanced Welsh and Celtic Studies. And the subject of his lecture is the history and future of the Dictionary of Welsh Biography. It was recorded at a Cymrodorion event in April 2015. We do hope you enjoy. I think my topic is, is a very uh, appropriate one as a, a, a talk to this uh, society because it, it was, of course, the Commodorian who were responsible for the publication of the Dictionary of Welsh Biography. In, indeed, for, for its very existence, I think were it not for this society and its efforts, but back in, in, in the 1930s, the, we wouldn't have our own Dictionary of Welsh uh, Biography um, today. And, and I, I should say, it's not, it's not one of my minor... <laughs> Project is quite a major one, really. It certainly feels like it. I hope I'll show you tonight that it really is. <laughs> um, now, um the, uh, I, I, I should of course acknowledge before talking about the, the beginnings of the Dictionary of Welsh Biography itself, I should of course acknowledge that the whole enterprise of, uh, of uh, biographical collections for Wales goes back considerably uh, further than the 20th century. There were numerous collections of biographies of Welsh people published in the 19th century in both uh, English and, and Welsh uh, separately. Um, Starting with William Owen Pugh's Cambrian biography of 1803, that I think is the earliest actual collection of biographies, uh, and, and then the, the emphasis in the 19th century was on national heroes, on lives to be emulated with titles such as eminent Welshmen. Uh, and these tended to be promoted by Eisteddfod competitions, particularly for, for collections in the Welsh language, but in English too. Uh, and there was quite a flurry of those in the early 20th century. In fact, some of them eventually published and some, some, some not, some, some still languish in the archives of the National Library. Um, but uh, that would really be the subject for an entirely different talk uh, because it wasn't until the 1930s that plans began for a, a comprehensive and authoritative national biographical dictionary. Um, and the, the ball, uh, uh, it was really W. Jenkin Thomas who started the ball rolling. He was a, a London Welshman, and he made an appeal which he broadcast on the radio in May 1936. And the text of that broadcast had actually been published by Brindley Roberts in the Trethodid back in 2012, if anyone was interested. It is quite an important historical document, actually. And Jenkin Thomas uh, really wasted no words. Uh, uh, understandably, I suppose, on, on the medium of radio at that time, and he went straight in with his message, and he began, I want to see published a dictionary of Welsh biography, which will do for Wales what that magnificent English publication, unequalled even in Germany, the Dictionary of National Biography, the DNB, as it is usually called, has done for the British Isles as a whole. So we see there immediately uh, how biography was a matter of national pride, even of competition between nations that unequaled even in Germany. This is in 1936, uh, remember. Uh, and we also see the status, uh, uh, which is still true today, the status of the 
DMB, the Dictionary of National Biography, published a bit between 1885 and 1900. Um, and, and, and a publication of enormous importance for, for, for historiography of, of the British Isles uh, and the formations of the British Isles. Now, Jenkin Thomas argued that Wales had not been given adequate representation in the DMB compared to England, Scotland and Ireland. Uh, and um, by the way, it is interesting to note that the people of Scotland seem to have been satisfied with their representation in the DMB, and that representation is very extensive, it has to be said. Um, they seem to have been satisfied uh, up until the present, since there is to this day no full dictionary of Scottish biography, which I find very surprising given the strength of Scottish national identity in, in, in other ways. Um, there is, by the way, a, a, a dictionary, a, a, a biographical dictionary of Scottish women, but, but not, not a complete one for, for, for the whole nation of, of Scotland. Um, and uh, looking then to Ireland, even though Ireland had been an independent state since 1922, it was not until 2009 that the Dictionary of Irish Biography was published by Cambridge University Press. And I must say, I find it surprising that they turned to Cambridge University Press rather than publishers in, in Ireland, but there we are. And that was done on behalf of the Royal Irish Academy. So, so they arranged the project, but it was published by Cambridge University Press. Um, and I, I think it would be fair to say, uh, just on the basis of what happened in, in Scotland, and, and or didn't happen in Scotland, or what eventually happened in Ireland, that the dominant presence of the DNB really put a break on national biographical enterprises in the other countries of the British Isles uh, for, for much of the 20th century. And it should therefore be a matter of pride for us that the Dictionary of Welsh Biography began as early as it did in, in the 1930s, considerably earlier than the, than the other countries. And so, returning then to Jenkin Thomas's broadcast appeal, he concludes by laying down a challenge. What individual or society will take the initiative? He asked at the end of his broadcast. Clearly was uh, uh, an undertaking uh, for a society rather than an individual, I think is the suggestion there. And as you know, the Commodorion did indeed take up that challenge. And in 1937, the society began drawing up plans for a biographical dictionary and for the necessary fundraising. The project was announced at a meeting of the society at the National Estev Body in Cardiff on the 1st of August 1938 by the great historian John Edward Lloyd. And, and by the way, his speech on that occasion it, it was published in the transactions of the Commodorium in the same year, 1938. It, it, it's in English, and I, uh, as far as I can tell, it, was, it must have been delivered in English, uh, uh, even though it was at the National Estate Board in, in Cardiff. Um, now, J. E. Lloyd was, of course, the natural choice as editor of the new uh, biographical dictionary, and he was assisted by another Bangor historian, R.T. Jenkins. And so we see there that the University of Wales, although it wasn't involved on, uh, on an institutional level in this enterprise, it, it did uh, contribute uh, through the professional historians which it had produced, J. Lloyd and R.T. Jenkins. And then the third part 
partner, if I can put it that way, it wasn't a formal partnership, but the third partner in this project was the National Library of Wales, which gave vital support once the project began in earnest towards the end of the Second World War. Of course, the Second World War broke out very shortly after the announcement of the plans, so they were shelved for a few years, but towards the end of 1943, um, the uh, work began in earnest uh, and the partnership was then formalised when the National Librarian, Sir William Llewellyn Davis, was appointed Associate Editor following the death of J. E. Lloyd in 1947. He joined Archie Jenkins and, uh, uh, as Associate Editor and thus began the library's close association with DWB, which continues to this day, I'm glad to say. So publication began in 1953. Uh, which is not bad going, actually, really, I, I must say. Uh, it, it, they, they started in earnest in 1943. Uh, ten, uh, less than ten years later, they, were, they published first a volume of, of over a thousand pages in Welsh, a biography idea of Cymraeg, Heed Milnau Pedwar Deg. Uh, and that term, by the way, a biography idea, which is how it's always known in Welsh, uh, was coined by T.H. Paddy Williams, who was a member of the steering committee, I think very much at the last moment before publication. Uh, I'm very glad he did coin it. It's an extremely useful one-word term for a biographical dictionary, sort of on the model of words like geriadir um, in Welsh, which other languages, certainly English doesn't have. I'm not sure about uh, 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 many other languages, but certainly English, English speakers tend to still to talk about dictionaries of biography and so on, which is, can be a bit uh, uh, ambiguous and misleading. Uh, so it's very, uh, I'm very glad we have that one word in Welsh, a biographiadir. Um, but anyway... That Welsh volume was followed six years later by the corresponding English language volume in 1959, the Dictionary of Welsh Biography down to 1940. Further volumes were subsequently published to cover people who died in the following three decades, in the 40s, the 50s and the 60s, up to 1970. That's the cut-off point for the print volumes. The most recent of those volumes, the separate ones in English and Welsh, was published in 2001. Um, before going on from there, I'll just, just pause for a moment with the question of language, uh, which is actually quite an interesting issue. Uh, I was surprised to see when I read J. E. Lloyd's published lecture back in 19, uh, delivered in 1938, that he says that the work was to be published in English. Although, and I quote, that does not preclude its issue in Welsh. I was a little bit surprised by that. He wasn't strong, more strongly in favour of bilingual uh, publication. It's not exactly a major concern for him. He says it's definitely going to be in English. It may be in Welsh. We'll have to see about that, really, is the, is, is the suggestion. Um, I must admit, I had always assumed that it was um, uh, that this, the principle of bilingualism was a, was a key principle from the start and was one of the main reasons for wanting to establish a, 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 a dictionary of Welsh biography in parallel to the, the uh, British DMB. Um, however, that statement clearly reflects J. E. Lloyd's own practice as a historian who published primarily in English. 
Um, I think he, he really, he's taking for granted that, that English was the international language of scholarship and that was, that, that was the right thing to be doing. Uh, and possibly would have something in Welsh as well, but English essential. Uh, Artie Jenkins, on the other hand, is worth noting, did publish more in, in Welsh of his, his, his work as a historian. Uh, and so possibly when he took over as editor, he may have uh, changed policy a bit more in favour of the Welsh language. Also, I suspect that the National Library of Wales began to play a more influential role. That was where the, the, the project was housed by, by, by the end of the Second World War. Um, this, this is where a lot of the collecting was done of, of information. And of course, the National Library was primarily a, 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 an institution working through the medium of Welsh on a daily basis. So I think that there may have been a shift there uh, from that initial view uh, 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 of language um, uh, provided by J. Lloyd in his lecture in 1938. And in fact, as I've already told you, priority in terms of publication was given to uh, the Welsh version of all the volumes. Um, and in fact, the, the English-speaking readers had to wait until 2001 to, to catch up, as it were. There had been two supplements published in Welsh previously to that, and they didn't get the, the, the three decades, 40s, 50s, 60s, until 2001. So they had to wait about, I think, like um, 40 years. You know, so they must have felt quite peeved by that. Uh, on the other hand, it's also worth noting that... Um, uh, the English volumes are actually generally more correct than the Welsh ones because they, because they were published later they had the opportunity to, to correct errors to, to update and so on uh, they're not always obvious in fact I, 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 I spotted one just um, I think it was the day before yesterday and I had, had to arrange for it, for it to be correct I saw that there was a date in the English one which didn't correspond to the Welsh one and we checked and the English was, was right um, so you know the, 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 it can be an advantage to, to be published second we do see that in, uh, in in other cases of, of parallel publishing. Um, so then the English volume covering the period 1941 to 1970 was published in 2001 and that's the last volume to appear to have appeared in print. The next step was for the contents of all those print volumes, five in, in total, to be digitised by the National Library and made freely available on a bilingual website in 2007. And here you have the, the homepage of that website. I'm, I'm on the English side of it now, uh, but it is fully bilingual. Um, uh, and uh, and it's, uh, it's, as I say, it's freely available to users. And the decision was taken at that time to publish new material online well, I was going to say online only. I'm not entirely sure precisely when that decision was taken. It has been taken by now, certainly. There's no intention to publish any more print volumes. Uh, Publishing online is just so much it, it, more practical, to be honest, for an undertaking like this, because it's possible to add uh, individual new entries uh, whenever they're ready, rather than having to wait for a print volume to, to, to be fully ready. Um, so then that change from print to the digital medium happened during the editorship of Dr. Brindley Roberts, who served as editor for 26 years, from 1987 to 2013, uh, long after his retirement as National Librarian. Um, uh, and I would like to take this, this opportunity to pay tribute to Bryn's enormous contribution to the DWB uh, project. He really kept it going and, and, de and developing during that period. 
When Brindley decided to retire from the editorship in 2013, three years ago now, uh, pretty, pretty much pretty exactly, uh, I was invited by the Commodorean Society to take over as joint editor with the National Librarian at the time, Dr. Aled Griffith-Jones. The project was to be a partnership between our two institutions, Centre for Advanced Welsh and Celtic Studies uh, and the National Library. The National Library taking responsibility for maintaining the website, as, as they do, and staff of the centre for its content. And my colleague, Dr Marian Loeffler, acts as assistant editor. An advisory board was established with representation from a wide range of fields, and the Commodorean are represented by Griffith Allen Williams and Arwen Lloyd Hughes. We had, and we still have, great plans for enhancement of the website by library technical staff, and I will say a, a bit more about that later on. Um, the however, the major task facing us is that of filling the many gaps which have arisen since publication of the last print volume, i.e. amongst people who have died since 1970. I have a list of gaps between 1970 and 2010, which runs to over 800 names. So, you know, over 800 people could, could justifiably be included. I'm doubtful whether they all will be. Some of them have question marks after the names, but you know, it's of that order because uh, we, we, we're, we're talking about uh, four, four decades there. Remember, um, now to fill all those gaps. Um, we need to mount a fundraising campaign to enable us to devote more staff time to the project, both uh, at Calcs and at the library. I think there's this need for at least two full-time staff. One, one in each, one in the library, one in the centre. Uh, currently, my work as editor is squeezed into any time left over from all my other managerial and academic duties. And Morvith Jones in the library uh, is able to devote about half a day a week to uploading new articles. So it's, that's very, really very little. Um, so, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, as, as I mentioned uh, in, in a moment, we're, we're managing to put up about one new article per week, something like that. Uh, uh, Morvid does also make any, any necessary corrections. I'll just get rid of that. Um, yeah. Now, um, I should remind you that DWB is freely available online, unlike the Oxford DNB and also the Dictionary of Irish Biography, which both charge for access. Okay, so the Cambridge University Press published the print volumes of the Irish Biography and also uh, manages a website, but you have to, you have to pay a uh, subscription to, to, to uh, access it. So then we have no regular source of income, which we would have if, if we charge for access to, to the website. Now, but I think that open access is a very important principle. I know it's a key principle for the National Library. They, they offer a number of, 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 of a variety of different resources uh, from their holdings, freely available to the public online. There's a key uh, principle for them. They're not going to, to shift from that. And it's also a very important principle uh, in the academic world 
generally and for public and charitable funders. It's what they expect, that, that anything is funded in that way is going to be freely available to, to the public. So I, I think we're doing the right thing there and we have absolutely no intention of changing that. In fact, I think it's going to possibly be increasingly difficult for the, the Oxford DMB to justify uh, their position in, in charging access. Although it has to be said that anybody who has a, a reader's ticket of a, of a public library can access it. So it's, it's, you know, it's not, not many people are actually paying to, 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 to access it on an individual level. Um, still. Um, now, so that's one problem. We don't have any regular uh, income. Um, also, unfortunately, as I'm sure most of you are aware, the National Library itself has had considerable problems over the last few years, which culminated last year in Alec Jones's resignation as National Librarian uh, last August. So currently I am sole editor of DWB, but I'm glad to say that the present librarian, National Librarian Linda Thomas, is extremely supportive of the partnership and sees DWB as one of the library's priorities. Her intention is to move ahead with a fundraising campaign very soon. And I think that fundraising campaign has to be led by the National Library as the institution which hosts the, the um, DWB. In the meantime, we continue to make slow but steady progress, as I said, at the rate of about one new article per week. Uh, and the most recent are actually listed on the homepage, and you'll see there are new articles now available. If you click on that, you, you get a, a fairly short list. This changes from time to time. I'm quite sure exactly what period this spans. I think there are 17 there, I, I, I counted. Those are the most recent anyway, so if you want to see what's gone up recently, well, you know, you can, you can have a look at that. Um, and I'll come back to, to some of those in, 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 in a few minutes. Um, a part of the problem, as I said, is that library staff are not able to devote enough time to encoding of articles for uploading onto the website. That's quite a laborious process. Uh, and don't forget that everything goes up bilingually, in both languages at the same time. That's very important. I think it would be very dangerous if we started to put one up in English without a Welsh version or vice versa. Um, and you would then inevitably get slippage and you, and you wouldn't be complete on both sides. So we only put a new article up when it's ready to go in in both languages um, so it is fully uh, bilingual in, the, in that sense uh, 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 as well that it all goes up simultaneously there's no shortage of material coming in uh, and we have managed to fill some of the mo more obvious gaps amongst people who died since 1970 uh, such as Saunders Lewis Kate Roberts and Cuffin Williams. Those are the three names I was a little surprised to find were not there when I took over as editor. Uh, so I set about commissioning articles and they are there now. We've got excellent articles on all three of those big uh, names. And I must say, I've been very heartened by people's willingness to contribute to DWB on a voluntary basis. And this is another issue, of course. Uh, again, we're different to the DNB, who, who pay a fee, an honorarium, to, to contributors. I think it's currently about £100. Um, uh, we, we do not pay a fee to contributors. I believe that fees have been paid at some point in the, in the distant past, maybe when they were uh, producing 
in the original volumes, but certainly for many years they haven't, and the advice I had from Bryn Roberts was, no, contributors are willing to do it on a voluntary basis, and that should continue. And of course, if anything, that's become more common these days with Wikipedia and similar things which are done voluntarily. People almost accept it. If it's freely available, then there's no need to expect a fee for contributing to it. It is a sort of joint enterprise, by, by, if, if you like, by, 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 by the public. Um, so, uh, as I say, that is very encouraging. Um, I think generally people are keen to ensure proper representation of their own areas of interest, such as well, sports people or musicians or ministers or scientists and so on. And I myself feel that Wales is very fortunate to have its own biographical dictionary in both its national languages, and that this is something which is really worth maintaining and developing. And, I, and I'm heartened to see that a, a, a large number of people agree with me on that and are willing to, to contribute. That is not to say, however, that DWB is perfect or even satisfactory as it stands. Far from it. As I'm sure many of you know, the Oxford DMB was thoroughly revised to make it fit for the 21st century. Uh, a totally new edition was published both in print and online in 2004. Remember, the original was going back to the end of the 19th century, and so it, was, it must have been badly in need of, of revision uh, by that time. Um, it was revised, uh, firstly in terms of factual accuracy and incorporation of new knowledge, but equally importantly, in terms of social attitudes, uh, especially, for instance, relating to the coverage of women. Balance is a key principle in any biographical dictionary, both balance between the various fields of endeavour and, crucially, gender balance. Now, I'm ashamed to say that the proportion of women in the first volume of DWB, that's the one published in the 1950s, remember, was less than 5%. <coughs> um, although I would add that the old DMB was not much better than that. Uh, and even in the revised DMB of 2004 and ongoing, uh, the current percentage, so I'm told, is only about 11% of women. It's not great. Um, now, apparently, the Dictionary of New Zealand biography has the highest proportion of women uh, at 22%, with the American National Biography uh, at 18%. Those are figures I heard just, just last week, actually. Um, and as I, did, I, I mentioned to you that um, Scotland does have its own dictionary, uh, biographical dictionary of Scottish women, but no full national dictionary. In fact, I heard of uh, some, I was listening to some podcasts the other day of a conference on national biographies held by the National um, University of Australia in Canberra. Um, very interesting talks there. Uh, and there was a representative of this uh, Dictionary of Scottish Women, who's actually Canadian, uh, as a number of Scottish historians are, apparently. Uh, and she uh, uh, said very provocatively, because uh, she was lamenting the fact they don't have their, their full national uh, dictionary, unlike Wales, I was glad to hear her say. Um, uh, but she went on to say that, of course, we have got this dictionary of Scottish women, uh, and given the fact that the, three, the leaders of the three major political parties in Scotland are all women, 
women at the moment. Perhaps all we need to do is, uh, apparently there are about a thousand women in this dictionary. If we added about 120 men, she said, we could call it a national dictionary <laughs> so, <laughs> and stick to the same sort of percentages the other way around. Uh, she got quite, 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 uh, quite a, a good response to that, I think, from the audience in Canberra. Um, now, I, 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 sh I should hasten to say, um, one legitimate reason for this kind of imbalance across the board for all biographical dictionaries is that before the middle of the 20th century, there were far fewer opportunities for women to make their mark in the public sphere in ways which would justify inclusion in a dictionary of national uh, biography. Uh, and remember that when we're adding entries on women, even now, we're still talking about women who were brought up mostly in the first half of the 20th century mostly. Um, so, you know, going back to really a, a, a different era in terms of so social norms. As our society it, it has changed and it continues to change in recent decades and women are playing a greater role in public life, so too will that biographical dictionaries gradually come to present a more balanced coverage. But that is not the whole story. And feminist historians have done important work recently in drawing attention to neglected women who made pioneering contributions in a wide range of fields throughout history and should have been in these biographical dictionaries and were unjustly neglected. Okay, so the, 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 this, this needs to be put right. So to give you one striking example uh, uh, from Wales, uh, of a woman who should certainly have had her own entry in the first volume of DWB. That's the industrialist and novelist from Swansea, Amy Dillwyn, uh, whose dates were 1845 to 1935. Um, so she, she certainly, okay, she, only, she died five years before the cutoff point for that first volume, but nevertheless, um, she should certainly have been in. The only reference to her, she is there, if you know where to look, uh, she's one of the two unnamed daughters of Lewis Dillwyn. Her father, in the entry on Lewis Dillwyn, there's reference to his two daughters, that the names are not given. And this entry neglects to mention that Lewis Dillwyn's zinc works were close to bankruptcy when he died in 1892, and that Amy's daughter turned it into a profitable business, which she eventually sold to the German firm Siemens. Uh, and on top of that, published half a dozen novels promoting women's rights. Uh, the Rebecca Rieter is perhaps the best known of those. Uh, one can only wonder what a woman needed to do at that time to get included in a biographical dictionary. You know, she was a successful industrialist and a successful author. Uh, she doesn't even get named in the entry on her father. Uh, I'm glad to say that we're expecting an article on Amy Dillwyn by Kirsty Bohata of Swansea University very shortly. Now, gender balance is not just a matter of inclusion of more articles on women, but also of acknowledging women's roles in men's lives. And again, this does come down very often to naming, or rather the lack of it. Um, for instance, let me see now. Um, I'll just give you an example. I'll get a, 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 one of the articles here. This is an article on a very well-known man. If you go to Edward Williams, better known as... Yola Morganug, sorry, I'm a mouse here, so I'm a bit slow in the scrolling over here. Um, mm. right. Um, right, here he is. Um, 
Go to Edward Williams. Yeah, he. Oh, I did do that. I did that. Yeah, there, yeah, right. Um, yeah, there's, there's the, the, the article on um, Yola. Um, of course, uh, as you know, romantic poet and inventor of the druidical pageantry of the Nationalist Edward. Um, Yola was much indebted to his aristocratic mother, Anne, for his early education and to his long-suffering wife, Peggy, for maintaining his family in Glamorgan while he spent time pursuing his literary ambitions here in London. And yet, neither of those two, neither his mother nor his wife, is named in the DWBR article on him by that great scholar, Griffith John Williams. If you, just, if you scroll down, you'll see uh, it's by Griffith John Williams, um, published date 1959. Um, uh, all that's said is he's said to be simply son of Edward Williams. Um, and then, I'm quoting again, his mother was an able woman. <laughs> and then, so a little bit later, he married in 1781. <laughs> Who did he marry? <laughs> this, that sort of thing just won't do anymore. In fact, I'm amazed that it was acceptable even then, in the 1950s. I'm amazed that Griffith John uh, uh, got, got away with that, that the editors would say, well, <laughs> what was his mother's name? Because <laughs> he was probably well known. Because <laughs> I mean, John had published a book on this to, to go into great detail about these people. <laughs> uh, and of course, the lack of a name in the text means that in any index, uh, any searches that we do, these people, his mother and his wife, won't appear. Uh, that article needs to be revised very soon, uh, and the obvious person to do it would be one of the members of the Yolo Morgano project team at our centre. So I must get them on the case there. Although one is slightly reluctant at the moment, you could just pop in the mother's name Anne, you could pop in the wife's name Peggy. Um, but I, I think it's, it's rather dangerous to be just sort of fiddling, adding little details here and there. And then the question arises well, whose article is this? You know, I think if you're going to make changes like that, uh, they need to be fully revised. Um, so it's, it's a rather bigger undertaking. Anyway, my colleague Marion Loeffler has focused on increasing the representation of women in the DWB and she's recently enlisted the help of members of the Welsh Women's Archive, a group which promotes the history of Welsh women. And we are beginning to see improvement. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Um, perhaps I won't get all, all the articles from these up because it's a little bit clunky in here. Um, Lady Augusta Hall uh, of Llanover. Previously, she was only in the DWB uh, under the entry for, for her husband, Benjamin Hall of Big Ben fame. But uh, today, I think, arguably, Lady Augusta Hall is better known in Wales, at least, than her husband. And she certainly merited an entry in her own right, highlighting her contribution to the development of the Esteadbod and the national costume, uh, uh, amongst other things. So Marion Loeffler herself wrote an article in time for the National Esteadbod in Abergavenny uh, 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 this summer, because uh, there, there, there was a good deal of interest in Augusta Hall at, at that time. Um, so. Uh, that's one uh, improvement. She also redid the article on Benjamin Hall. Then we also have new recent articles on the journalist Jenny Elian Davis, uh, once editor of Avanair. The actress Rachel Thomas, famous for playing the role of the Welsh Mam in films such as The Proud Valley, 1939. Um, the harpist Nancy Richards, 
who died at the age of 91 in 1979. Um, uh, the recent play about her life by Angara Price uh, it was a spur to fill that gap. That play, new play, was shown for the first time at the Stelvod in Maivod uh, last year, uh, and that made me think, oh, we really should have an article on, on Nancy Richards. Uh, so so I, I, I commissioned one. Um, and then Val Feld who died in 2001, the first ever member of the National Assembly for Wales to die in office. Uh, as a fact for you. Uh, in fact, my work as a, an editor ought to be quite useful when I take part in quizzes, if I could only remember half the things I'd learnt when I, as an editor. Um, now, none of those four, Jenny Alien, uh, Rachel Thomas, uh, Nancy Richards and Val Feld, none of those are in the Oxford DMB. And, and I find that quite interesting. Um, it, it does show that there is an, a very important role for DWB in recording lives of people who were important in the Welsh context, perhaps more than the British one or, or international one. Um, in, in fact, I think in the case, certainly in the case of Rachel Thomas uh, and, and, and especially Nancy Richards, you could argue they were important on an international level in, in, in films such as The Proud Valley uh, and as uh, Harpist, well known in America. Nancy Richards. So it's, you know, it's, it's debatable. I think she probably should be in the, in the Oxford DMB. But these ten people, ten kind of people don't tend to get in there. And th th this is very important. For, in a Welsh context, these are very well-known people. Uh, and they made important contributions. And they, and they definitely need to be included. But they, w they won't get included on that, on that um, uh, British level, necessarily. I think that was the thing that was troubling Jenkin Thomas back in the 1930s. You know, that the Wales was not being properly represented. And then you've got less obviously Welsh names. Sticking, I'm still sticking with women at this point, such as the singer Dorothy Squires. I mean, it's a surprise to some people to know that she was Welsh, born in Pontyberem in 1915 and brought up in Daven near Senesli. Um, and then, of course, she spent most of her life outside Wales, her career as a singer, although she did come back to, 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 to Wales for, for her very last years. Um, but then, of course, we do include people, men and women, who were not necessarily born in Wales, but, but made an important contribution having come to Wales. For instance, uh, Kate Bosser Griffiths, the German Egyptologist and Welsh language novelist, is, is, is a prime example. Um, um, married to Jay Gwynne Griffiths, and they're both, they've both got their own entries. Uh, Jay Gwynne and Kate Bosser Griffiths, fairly recently, has been added. Uh, of course, born and brought up in Germany, but, but uh, made a, an enormous contribution to Welsh culture since coming here uh, in the 1930s. Um, now, there are other articles in the queue to be uploaded onto the website, uh, including Mena Galli, the novelist from Mr. Gunlais, uh, the folk singer Dora Herbert Jones, who was allegedly the first woman to work in the House of Commons. So it says in the article, and I wish I knew if that was true or not. Uh, she worked there as secretary to the MP John Herbert Lewis. Uh, and later she served as secretary of the Gruganog Press in the 1930s, and she was instrumental in promoting the Gruganog Music Festival uh, at that time as well. So it's a pretty, pretty important person, Dora Herbert Jones. Got a, uh, an excellent little article on her. And then we have a revised version uh, of, uh, of, an art of the article on Francis Hogan. Uh, Frances Hogan was the first Welsh woman to qualify as a medical doctor, which she did at the University of Zurich in 1870. She, incidentally, she, she was born Frances Morgan in Brecon. 
The Learned Society of Wales has recently established the Francis Hogan Medal to be awarded to women who make an outstanding contribution in the sciences. So it's timely that we should publish a fuller account of her life and work than the brief entry in the original DWB. I might just try and get this one up, actually. Um, I can do this fairly quickly. Um, because it is quite telling. Um, it's actually by R.T. Jenkins himself. There she is. Uh, Hogan and Francis Elizabeth. Yeah. See how, how, how long that is. Uh, and not only that, but uh, almost a good third of it is taken up telling us who her father was uh, and, and, and her mother. <laughs> I think the fact I can see the only source quote is, is relevant to her father rather than to her. Um, sure. yeah, it must be really because it was published in 1886. Um, so. Uh, this is another problem, in fact, with representation of women in biographical dictionaries generally. Not only that, that sometimes there is an article on them, there isn't an article on them, but if there is, it tends to be extremely short uh, and really inadequate. And I, I've, I, we've just uh, recently received a, a full new one, a very substantial one, to, 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 very interesting on the difficulties she had in qualifying to, be, to, well, to, to study medicine at all, having to go to Europe to do that, and then qualifying, becoming a member of the British Medical Society. Uh, 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 it's, it's, it's a fascinating story, actually. And she also made a, a contribution, important contribution to the education of, of women, girls, in, in, in Wales. In the, in, the, in the late 19th century. There's a great deal to be said about her. We have an excellent article uh, shortly to be published. I actually translated it in, into Welsh. We do get some uh, contributions, can only be in English. So then I, I, I often translate these into Welsh. It's a good opportunity for me to get to grips with the article and do any editing at the same time. So I quite enjoy that. Um, so that will replace, at the time I suppose, that was regarded as adequate, but it isn't anymore anyway. And obviously with this new medal, the Francis Hogan Medal, more people are going to want to know well, who was she? What did she do? Uh, and they can, they can find out. So, uh, as I said earlier, we don't have the resources at the moment to undertake a thoroughgoing revision of all the original articles. But we are making, uh, revising, we are revising selected articles on an ad hoc basis where there's substantial room for improvement and interest in the subject. So far, for instance, I've commissioned a new article on Oanglin Dúr, uh, by Griffith Allen Williams. Um, and Fionn Haig, who's another member of our advisory board, has agreed to write a new entry on Lloyd George, giving appropriate attention to his extramarital affairs, uh, of which the reader of the Welsh language article in particular would have absolutely no idea. No idea at all. <laughs> it, it reads very strangely, the, the, the Welsh language article on Lloyd George, because, because uh, as I'm sure you'll know, at the end of his life, after his, 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 his wife died, he then married his, his long-standing long, long secretary, Francis Stevenson, uh, 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 who effectively been his, his mistress in, in London for all those years, his wife back in Wales. Uh, and it just says at the end of this Welsh language article, he married Francis Stevenson. You think, who's she? Where did she come from? <laughs> the, the, at least the English article does say that 
that she'd worked as his, uh, I think he uses the word companion, uh, secretary and companion is, 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 is a nice, nicely chosen word. Uh, there was a great reluctance to draw attention to any of the foibles of these great men um, uh, as national heroes. Uh, 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 understandably, uh, 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 it's, you know, I wouldn't want to mock that, 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 that attitude, but I think today we, we, we need the full story. These biographies are not just of their public public role, but also of the, the, the person uh, which, which involves them, the personal life in, 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 in all ways. And of course it's well known now that, 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 that Lloyd George was a womanizer, so people reading his biography are expecting to find information on that. Um, sometimes new publications offer an opportunity to commission a revised article uh, serendipitously, uh, such as, for instance, the recent book on the pioneering mathematician from Tenby, Robert Record. Um, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll know the, the equals sign. Um, uh, uh, Robert Record is the first in the University of Wales Press's new Scientists of Wales uh, series, and the author, Gordon Roberts, willingly contributed an excellent account, which I also translated into Welsh. I really enjoyed translating that one, uh, and it's uh, actually just been published. Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure when. I only noticed it. I think yesterday. It's actually there. Um, so uh, do take a look at that. Again, the, the original one was far too short, uh, and this is a very full account of a fascinating life in, in Tudor, well, mainly Tudor, London. Um, but it, but he, was, he was, of course, from, from Tembe. Um, and, of course, neglected Welsh people just keep on coming to light. Uh, and gaps need to be filled. I sometimes get offers, even, I must say, of people I'd never heard of, to my shame. So Gareth Hughes, whose dates were 1894 to 1965, um, was an actor from uh, Llanelli. I, I, his real name was William Hughes, I think. William Thomas Hughes, I forget. He's, he wasn't, uh, his real name wasn't Gareth. Um, but he achieved fame in the silent movies in Hollywood. Um, uh, uh, he was at one time he was billed as, as, as America's most promising young actor. I think at one time in the 1920s, uh, his career ended during the Depression, um, and he then became a missionary with the Paiute tribe of Native Americans in Nevada. Uh, and made an enormous difference to their lives, became a much loved sort of father figure to all the children of the tribe and, and a really an enormous amount of good uh, on the Indian reservation in Nevada. Uh, and, and that's where he ended. So he effectively had two almost two lives, two careers as a, as a very well-known actor, uh, both in films and, and on stage, and then as a missionary. Uh, I must say, I'd never heard, I don't think many people haven't either, but he's about to, to, to uh, his, his life is about to be published on DW be. Um, we're of course very keen to fill gaps amongst sportsmen and women. I think there has been something of a lack of attention to that kind of area. Um, recently put up the boxer Johnny Owen, uh, the multi-talented Wilf Wooler, cricketer, uh, rugby player, footballer, uh, and various other Glamorgan cricketers. I think Glamorgan cricketers are probably best, best represented sector of almost anybody, <laughs> apart from, apart from <laughs> Methodist ministers, maybe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so then we've got, I mean, if you go, going back, uh, if I make to this, um, uh, going back to this list of um, new articles, um, sorry, very, very chunky. Um, 
Yeah, you'll see there are there are some good names here. Um, so we've got yeah, Gareth Lodolin, the, the poet who died relatively recently, 2014. So again, I'm going to have to scroll down here. Um, uh, you've got uh, Henry Paget, seventh Marquis of Anglesey. You see there, soldier, historian, conservationist, very important as an author of the history of the British cavalry in, in, in several volumes, um, but, but also important to, uh, uh, as a conservationist uh, uh, with the National Trust in Wales, Friends of Friendless Churches, amongst other organisations. So he, he, he made an important contribution in, in, in various ways. Um, very, very glad to see them. We've got Priest's father. <laughs> um, uh, uh, C.J. Morgan, um, recently a, a book put up by, by, by Brinley Roberts. Um, and then uh, you see at the top of that list, Ivor Allchurch, the, the Swansea footballer. Um, one thing that's rather nice with this article is uh, local knowledge uh, coming into play here. Um, the, I, I always tend to compare our articles with anything uh, on the, the Oxford DMB, if it's there. So Ivor Old Church is on the Oxford DMB. He, he's been there for some years. As you see, he died back in 1997. Um, but one thing it doesn't say uh, is that there's a super, uh, in the uh, DMB, is that there's a superstition among Swansea City supporters um, that, uh, about tapping the Ivor Old Church statue. There's a statue of him outside the Liberty Stadium. And for good luck, they tend to tap his boot uh, before matches. And apparently, my, uh, that avid Swans supporter, my predecessor in the centre, Geraint Jenkins, does this on a regular basis. So I'm told by the author of the, the article on Ivor Old Church, uh, Richard Hughes. Uh, so, uh, of course, the DMB article doesn't mention there's a statue of him outside the Liberty Stadium because it's published too, too soon for that. And I think that, that bit about the superstition, you know, the tapping of the boots, is a very nice little local touch that, that we, can, we can bring in to, to our Welsh articles, uh, which is not there on the, on the, uh, the, the British stage. Um, and by the way, thinking of Garrett Jenkins, uh, as you know, an avid football supporter, he has recently agreed to contribute an article on John Charles. I think he's better, uh, better qualified than anybody to write on John Charles, and I hope then he will go on to write about his brother Mel, who died just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so uh, representation of footballers is, is, is gradually improving, and, and quite rightly, because of course, um, either all churches and John Charles were both members of the Welsh uh, football team uh, last time they, they qualified for the World Cup in, in Sweden back, back, back in, the, in the 50s. Um, so, um, yes, uh, okay, I'll um, finish then by just by saying a little bit about some uh, improvements to the website. Uh, I hope you already noticed from the few articles that I've shown you, they are actually clearer than they used to be. They're easier to read online. Um, and they do have a date of publication at the bottom of the article. That's a very recent development. Um, very useful. People really need to know. With the, obviously, in most cases, you could go back and check in the volume, but that's a bit laborious. So we've actually got it done automatically now. It comes up and then with all the new ones as well. So you can see the ones that were added 2016, 2015, and so on. So that is, is an, an obvious little thing, which is just, just makes it that much more user-friendly. 
Um, it, the, the, incidentally, the um, library is also sending out a, a daily Twitter message uh, raising the profile of the uh, uh, DWB. I think today and yesterday I was twittering my lecture, <laughs> telling people not to forget this lecture, which is very nice of them. <laughs> but uh, just a few on Sunday, I was pleased to see there was a, a message about Louis Valentine. They tend to go for on this day, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I actually wrote the article on Louis Valentine, uh, which has only just been put up in September, because I realised, to my to my disappointment, that we were, it was coming off the 80th anniversary of the burning of the bombing school in the, in Penabeth, in Sheen, and um, I realised we had Saunders Lewis and we had DJ Williams, but we didn't have an article on Louis Valentine, because we wanted to draw attention to the 80th anniversary. Uh, so I thought, oh gosh, this, I don't realise this is about sort of July this year, so I thought, right, I better get up. The only thing to do is get on and write one, because there's plenty of, of information available. There's a very good biography published uh, about him. Um, so, so I did that, and we managed to get it up just in time for the anniversary of the 8th of September. Uh, and then the, the Twitter on Sunday tweeted that on that day in 1917, Louis Valentine was seriously wounded. He was in the medical corps in the First World War, uh, and he was seriously wounded uh, uh, on, on the front line, uh, trying, to, trying to help wounded soldiers uh, back, to the, back into their trenches. Um, so that, that was, it was rather, rather gratifying to, to, to see that. These things certainly raising the profile of the DWB, which is something we really need to do. And then the most exciting development, for me at least, and I hope you'll agree, is that we now finally have images attached to some of the articles. It's going to take us a while to, 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 to get a lot of images up, but when I first took over and said, why haven't we got pictures, they sort of said, oh, well, we, the, the technology won't allow it. We, 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 don't, we can't do it. Because, uh, of course, the, the Oxford DMB, is, they've got wonderful pictures up for almost all their, their entries. You know? It makes a huge difference when you're reading about something to actually be able to see what they look like. Uh, and I said, why can't we do this? I've been nagging the library about this for, uh, for the nearly three years now that I've been uh, editor. Uh, and finally, earlier this, this year uh, they, they, they made it happen um, and um, at the moment uh, we have 37 images or rather I should say there are 37 articles with images attached to them, it's not a lot 15 new ones were added yesterday incidentally so we know, we're getting there uh, there's another 69 apparently just waiting for the button to be pressed and they'll, they'll be there as well so uh, and the, the encouraging thing is that the, of course the National Library have got a fantastic collection of, of, of visual archives, uh, photographs especially, uh, but also a portrait collection. You know, and there's loads of material there, which they, and they have to hold the copyright to most of it. There are copyright issues to some things, but, but they hold the copyright to a lot of it. So, in, and in this way, we can actually, again, be better than the, the Oxford DMB. This is always my ambition. And, and <laughs> Just to do something better than them. <laughs> um, so if I, uh, uh, right, hang on. Uh, right. Oh yeah, sorry. I need to go back um, to the home page, and then we go to GH Parry Williams first of all, and um, I show you the article on him, which again was put up uh, fairly recently, but it's written by Harold Price, current authority on GH Parry Williams. Um, and you see here, you got this. What I think it's called a, a viewer, the National Library's viewer. I think it's called a session in Welsh. Uh, but it's uh, and you can actually make this. Uh, shall I do this? I'll put it. Make it full screen. It's better then. 
Um, and you see, you've not got not just one picture, we've got 42. And, and uh, you can click through them. I don't know how quickly this is going to work. But uh, this is a guy called Julian Shepherd, who um, was commissioned. I, 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 I just check the date of this. You've got more information here. Uh, which ought to tell us the date. I think it's the 1960s, but I'm, I'm in the early 70s. Um, 67 to 71, there you are, they're both right. Um, and, yeah, and he went round, and, and by the way, Welsh Arts Council, I think, at the time, he was commissioned to, um, oh yeah, to um, go, uh, go around photographing um, um, yeah, well-known writers. So we, we've got loads of, of, our, of, of photographs of T.H. Perry Williams. Um, I can get back to the screen here. Yeah, uh, uh, fascinating. We even get him out in his back garden at, at some point. Uh, this is in his house on, in North Road, of course. So uh, and he, he gets very. I think the, the subjects get very relaxed after a while because obviously Julian Shepherd was just going clicking away, you know, and uh, you get, you know, a little smile. Then he get, gets him outside in his deck chair there. And, <laughs> And, uh, and then, yeah, you get an aerial photograph there, and uh, it's, uh, they're great, I think, these, these photographs, and uh, they've, they've just been languishing in the library. <laughs> so they're probably actually in the library as well. And there's Lady Amy, and there's their, 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 um, their garden. Yeah, and uh, these are, these are marvellous photographs, and they make a huge difference to the experience of reading uh, the article, uh, I, I think. Uh, and uh, so there are, there are a number of these. I won't show you all the Julian Shepherd ones, but... Um, there, there are ones of Gwenaft, uh, which, which are very good. Uh, we've got Canaan, um, Canaan Jones, of course. Uh, you find him, you, Canaan will find him if you, so if you can't remember what Canaan's surname was. Uh, it was Canaan Jones, but you, you'll find him under, under Canaan, I think. But ideally, you should go to the list uh, and um, you get so Canaan Albert Evans Jones. Uh, and again, you get the same. You get the same thing, and you'll get this. And, it, and of course, people these days, young people these days, don't know what Canaan looked like. And there he is. You know, and again, you've got, you've got 35 pictures. I won't go through them all for you, but you know, these, these are really where we're seeing. And there's a splendid ones of uh, Kate, Kate Roberts uh, as well. Some, some very good ones of her again, also uh, out in her garden. Um, and then I'll, I'm very fond of the one of um, Richard Price. Um, the philosopher, and a London Welshman, um, has a marvellous portrait of him in the National Library. And so they've put up a photograph of that portrait. Um, I, it's quite dark, actually. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Uh, how, well, how well can you see that? I'm not sure. Um, Getting up full screen, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful portrait to give a, a sense of the character of the man. He looks so shrewd and intelligent, doesn't he? I think in that, in that picture, uh, which, he, which he clearly was from his writings. You know, it's, uh, very, very fond of that portrait. Um, so it's really good to have that on there, Richard Price. Um, and then there's a nice one of uh, Eva, Eva Williams, the Welsh scholar. Um, and this is. This is actually these photographs are from the collection by Jeff Charles, who, who was a, a marvellous. Uh, oh, sorry, I wonder who it is. Um, go to Sir Ivor. I can see full J. There you go. Welsh scholar. Um, and again, you've got yeah. And there he is in his in his chair. 
And there are only five of these. These, these are by um, Jeff Charles. And incidentally, uh, we just received uh, an article on the photographer Jeff Charles. I'm very pleased uh, about that. He's, he's, he's certainly somebody we, we uh, need to know more about because he was a fantastic photographer. You might want to see Serivor, uh, full, anyway, there he is. Uh, and there are five uh, similar to that, so that's, uh, that's very nice to have. Um, and then, of course, one of Jeff Charles's most iconic pictures, if I can call it that, famous pictures certainly, is this one. Well, no, hang on, it actually. Again, it went through won't be the first thing that came through. This is, this is by this is about a man called Richard Griffiths. Um, uh, the name Richard Griffiths might not mean so much to some of you. Uh, much better known as Carnival. Um, he was a hill farmer, poet, writer, journalist, as it says there. That's him with his wife. Um, on the day that they left their house, Carnedi, uh, Carnedi had spent his whole life there uh, on, on the hills above Beth Gellert. And um, he, he, I'm not sure what age he was when he left, but as you can see, he was, he was getting on. Good, that's the one. That's the, that's the really iconic photograph uh, of the two of them, his, his wife, Catherine, um, uh, looking over the hills before. The, the point of what's really heartrending about this, they weren't just leaving to go further down the mountain or something, they went to Hinckley in Leicestershire to spend the rest of their days with their son. Uh, and they died there a few, just a few years afterwards. Uh, this, is, this is a farmer who spent his whole life on that farm on those hills. Uh, and he left, I think it was 1947, even in the 1940s anyway. That's one of Jeff Charles's most famous pictures. There are a few, a few others li uh, like that, I think, if you go on. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Oh, it might, but yeah, that's, that's the best more, more close-up. Yeah, but he was a superb photographer with an eye for, for the dramatic picture that, 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 that says so much. So to have those with the article on Richard Carnethog is, is absolutely splendid. Um, and as I say, people will want to know, well, who was Jeff Charles? You know, and he takes such wonderful pictures. And very shortly, they'll be able to read about his life as well. So it's, I, I like to create these link-ups link between uh, the, the, the uh, articles, of course, we do have links. We do, you, you can you, you can follow trails um, uh, within articles, you know, from one to, to another. Um, now, time is getting on. I, I want to try and show you all of these um, pictures, but uh, there's just one other I'd like to show because um, and this is not a picture of the subject of the article, um, but as um, oops. As Helen mentioned, a lot of my academic work has been editing uh, medieval Welsh poetry, and one poet I worked on uh, 20 years or so uh, ago now is a poet called Lewis Glyncothi uh, from Carmarthenshire. Uh, and um, he's actually spelt with a, he's Lewis with, a, with an I here. Um, um, Oh, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the alphabetical order in the index is a little bit odd in places, I must confess, and I don't quite understand why. <laughs> it does some funny things. Uh, so sometimes you have to scroll beyond where you'd expect to see somebody. Um, but we're trying, gradually trying to sort that out. But let us think, Cothy. Um, what we've got in this instance, again, we see the, 
advantage of the incomparable resources in the National Library. Uh, we've got, uh, because they digitised an awful lot of their holdings, uh, especially amongst the Peniarth manuscripts. And, and Peniarth uh, uh, 109 uh, is a manuscript in the hand of Lewis Drinkhoffy himself. Uh, which is quite something. We've got many uh, poetry manuscripts written, actually written by the poet himself. Uh, and what they've done here, they've just they've, they've just attached it, so you can actually scroll through the whole thing, 204 pages. Um, it, it, and you can, yeah. And uh, sorry, you have to click a bit before you get to anything worth seeing. There you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, then you've got things like this. I mean, you'd have to zoom in a bit or whatever, you know, but you can actually see the poet's own handwriting. And what you do have is some heraldic shields. You see one there at the bottom of the page there? You've got the heraldic shield of the patron of the poem that he's coloured, he's, he's drawn himself and coloured in with the appropriate colourings. You know, so he was not just a poet, but also, but also he was a scribe and actually an artist. So uh, it's fantastic to have that manuscript there uh, in, together with the article. And for the library, it's so easy. You know, they've already got it digitised and on their website, so they can, it's just a matter of bringing these resources together. Uh, so there's an awful lot of potential here. Uh, I, I won't show you, there's one, an almanac, Thomas Jones, uh, the almanac maker, or almanac cured. Um, this is almanac published in 1683. If you go to the article on Thomas Jones, you can do the same thing with his almanac. You can actually read the almanac he published. and shows, It's very comical, of course, these, you know, they, they, they purport to tell you what the weather's going to be like in every day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very amusing to, to, to look at uh, look at those. Um, so you see the huge potential, really. Um, I, I think I'll draw things to a close there. I hope I've said enough to show you that the Dictionary of Welsh Biography is in good hands and is developing constantly, both in terms of content and uh, the, 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 the technical side of things, but also that there is a considerable challenge facing us in the future, one which we're determined to engage with and one which we will need a good deal of support to, to um, find solutions to support, hopefully from continued support from the Commodorean Society as ever. Uh, and uh, as I always end all my talks uh, about the, the Dictionary of Arts Biography by saying that any uh, uh, contributions and new articles, any suggestions would be gratefully received. Dear Hamurando, thank you for listening. You will find more of our podcasts on camradorion.org. Fefedrwch ddod o hyd i bodlediadau ychwanegol ar cymrydorion.org.